Hello, I'm Sarah Vine, and this is Sarah Vine's Female Half Hour from Mail Plus. I am joined this week, as every week, by my friend and co-host Imogen Edwards-Jones. So hello Imogen, how was your week? I am in sunny Wales, but you were in London. What have you been up to? Oh yes, you were having Christmas, weren't you? I had Christmas. Isn't that brilliant? So there was a huge gang yeah. of us all went, got together to have Christmas, because we were supposed to have Christmas, obviously at Christmas. But obviously now, yes. Christmas in June is the new Christmas. <laughs> Then July no- is the new December. Exactly. And uh, no, July is the new New Year, obviously. And yeah. June is the new Christmas. And it was very think, nice. We I didn't have pudding, right. though. We didn't have Christmas pudding or anything. Did but you have appa- Nope. But apparently, um, no. there were quite a few people having Christmas this weekend. Right. I think it was probably because it's I the first it's, time you're allowed think, to get together. I think we should all have Christmas probably quite soon because I suspect that the next Christmas is probably going to be cancelled again. As much fun as the last one. As much fun as the last one, wasn't it? Good. Good. Um, Excellent. Anyway, so today on this show, we have got lots of exciting things, including football, which, as you know, I'm very excited about. (laughs) Very exciting thing. You love Um, football. We've also got the brilliant Lionel Shriver, who's coming to talk to us about her book. And Theresa Chang, our astrologer, um, who is going to tell us about William and Harry. Although I do seem to remember that a couple of weeks ago she predicted that the England squad would do very well because they she were all did. water signs. I did. I was like thinking that. that. I was going thinking, go water. That's what I was thinking. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So let's find out. Um, and also we're going to have a bit of a serious thing on harassment and teenage girls. But first, we are going to be talking about Britney, Britney Spears, who is... I don't know, it's very bizarre what's happened to her, but she seems to be sort of indentured slave to her father. So, Imogen, I want to talk about Britney Spears. Oh, I, mean, I think we should talk about Britney Spears. I mean, you and I grew up with Britney Spears. I know we and, did, um, yeah. love her or loathe her. She is having the most, but not just awful, but also sort of extraordinary time at the moment. I mean, I can't really believe what's happened to her. She sort of ended up as a kind of indentured slave to her father as far as I can tell I mean she's she had her nervous breakdown a few years ago was I think it was about 12 or 13 Mm, years ago wasn't it Uh, where she shaved her hair off and all that and it was pretty awful and it was clear she was having a really hard time and then she ended up under this sort of thing under this thing called conservatorship which I think was done I, I think that's basically when they sort of decide that you're not capable of looking after yourself yes and so when someone takes over all, all your affairs which yeah yes sort of, so sort of power of attorney yeah really I guess, yeah in this country and the extraordinary thing is is that is that 13 years on she's still in that situation and she's trying to get out of it through a legal case at the moment but i but what i can't understand is that if if this girl is so ill and so incapable that she can't look after her own affairs and can't even decide on basic things in her own life. So I was absolutely, I was horrified that they forced her to have an IUD put oh, no, in to stop her from getting yeah. pregnant. Mm, mm. Which is just awful. It just put, sort of brings her on the level of a sort of, you know, animal, really, that's yeah. been spayed. And it just feels all, I just think it's awful. Well, it has sort of uh, whiffs of Gilead about it as well, doesn't it? It has this, that whiff it, of Gilead, exactly. which you just think your, your fertility, really? which is something so incredibly personal, as she doesn't even have control over exactly. that. Exactly. But the thing is that it's not as though she has been getting, you know, better. Mm. Uh, you know, if this girl is so terribly ill that she can't even make her own decisions, then why is she on stage the whole time, touring, being forced to sort of sing and dance in a bikini mm. as though she was some, I mean, literally as though she was some sort of circus animal. It's about power How though, isn't it? Real someone? abuse of power. I mean, 
But I mean, she's been mm. abused, I think, for a very long time. And, you know, she was a sort of mm. Mickey Mouse Club trooper, mm. one of those dancing, all those, those sort of like, you know, mm. forced childhood stars. Then she was great friends with yeah. Justin Timberlake, who actually finally, uh, mm. and after all this time, has suddenly come out to actually try and help her and be a friend. What's weird about all of this is how incredibly friendless she appears, how incredibly isolated mm. she appears. It's almost like she's been sort of gaslit by her own family and that well she's... that's the thing about fame isn't it yeah well she's got yes i mean she's got this sort of boyfriend and she's got this sort of you know her, you know her sister has come out and said that she feels sorry for her and stuff but it's just it just it just seems that she's i don't know it just it, it feels as you say it feels like gilead it feels it feels dystopian and it's 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 even odder because she's such a high profile person mm. you know you'd have thought that if anyone had the power not to end up like this it would be someone like britney spears mm. because you know she's a she's a talent she's a performer she's got lots of money you know why can't she get a lawyer who can get her out of this but no she's she's been it's 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 really i think sinister and and sort of i just it also feels incredibly misogynistic. It's though it's as though she's. I mean, I can't imagine. Can you imagine a male performer being in that situation? No. Can you imagine that? No. no. You know, if if sort of Justin Timberlake suddenly had a meltdown, yeah. and decided that he was going to, you know, I don't know, wear his pants on his head. <laughs> do you think that that would happen <laughs> or, to him? Or I don't, if he was going to be sterilised by the doctor, you know, Justin, yeah, you're not allowed exactly. out today. We're going to give you a little sterilising yeah. jab. But yeah. I mean, power is power, and love, and all these things are incredibly sort of interconnected aren't they because I'm sure her father probably thinks he's probably doing it from a position of love I would imagine or at least that's how he justifies it to himself but also so the, it's it's almost like his power has gone to his head you know surely I, I imagine initially it was probably you know you're not poor old Brittany she can't you know she keeps she can't drive on her own so maybe we get her a chauffeur but it sounds now that like you know she's on $1,800 a week I think is what she gets as her um, allowance and the father just seems to sort of have got some sort of weird god complex it's a bit like politics isn't it the, the fact that you know yeah. they, they suddenly all suddenly think they're all powerful and and all magnificent and all in charge yes you're talking about Matt Hancock I am yes <laughs> Have we somehow got from Britney Spears to Matt Hancock? I have, I know. That's that is the best out. segue ever, isn't it? Britney to Matt oh, Hancock. Brilliant. Yes. I think I think there is a moment where you, you do start to think you're invincible. But if you've got um, enough people around you telling you you're good, then yeah, then you stop. That's the problem. In, poli- in politics, everybody blows smoke up your ass all the time. That's the problem. No one ever says to you, actually, um, you know, I'm sorry, but you're a bogey in your nose. Uh, <laughs> what do they ever say? That's a terrible idea. Move on. They go, oh, no, that sounds yeah. good. Maybe we could work with that. Well done. <laughs> and then they leave the room, roll their eyes. Exactly. Um, there's there's something there's something uh, very bad about being in a situation where no one ever tells you. It, it, it's not just politics. It's any mm. high-powered situation. You know, if you're sort of head of the Church of England or you're running a bank or a- anyone who's basically is at the top of their game, they get that sort of, that there is that disconnect between reality and um, and of course because everybody's so worried about pleasing you and also they they know that you know if they please you then there might be something good in it for them so mm. you know much easier to just say the right things and make the right noises and then hope that as a result you'll get you know promoted or you know a leg up or whatever it's very difficult I think for someone like Brittany um, to work out who her real friends are for that very reason because well, exactly. she doesn't know who's just trying to get on her train, you know. And I think that's incredibly lonely. And I think it does mess with people's heads hugely. 
and it makes them do strange things. I mean, in Britney's case, you know, she did go slightly off the rails, shaved her hair, was was you know obviously very distressed. And um, Matt Hancock's, you know, sort of blown up his own career by having an affair with Gina Little Brigida. She's not called Gina Little <laughs> no, she's Brigida. She's not. I keep. But literally everyone I know calls her Gina Little Brigida. So I'm just. <laughs> joining in I'm just gonna call her Gina Lola Brigida yes yes but yeah. it's but it's also the yeah yeah you know power going to the pants and also the idea that you're invincible mm. and you know whatever you do is fine obviously what happened to him is that he knew this girl at university mm. always really fancied her because she was obviously very fabulous and sexy mm. uh had always had a bit of a crush on her, but perhaps always felt that he was a bit, I don't know, too geeky or whatever. He got a first, didn't he? So must have been I didn't geeky. know that, did he? He's probably too busy yeah, studying to take her out to dinner. So, exactly. <laughs> so then he becomes, so then he becomes, you know, Secretary of State for Health during the pandemic and it's all, you know, saving the world and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And suddenly, you know, he's a, he's a rather sexy prospect. And, uh, and you know, she gets to be part of that whole thing. I, and, and power is an aphrodisiac. Mm. And, you know, you put two, two people together in a position of, 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 you know, sort of in adversity. Do you know what I mean? If, yeah. you're, if, you're, if you're there and you're both sort of battling to save the world together, it's a bit like, you know, you're in your own film. Yes. And, you know, we all know what happens in, you know, in, in films is, 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 you know, the, the hero and the heroine inevitably have a snog yeah that's, that's yeah they're, they're, they're starring in their own so, narrative that's what happens <laughs> yeah they are they're starring in their own movie which is i think you know why he's he's then gone the whole hog and said you know i'm in love with her i'm leaving my wife yeah um because he's sort of he's got a he's sort of invested in it now and yes you know i mean i honestly i genuinely think that people have a right to live their own lives you know however it is that they want to do it and to make their own mistakes mm. But I can, I mean, like I said, I mean, I, I can see how it happens, can't you? I mean, I just can see how you end up. Of course, of course. I mean, he's practically wearing a sort of superhero outfit with a cape, isn't he? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and, and it's a heady atmosphere yeah. uh, in those corridors yeah. of power. Well, let, you are master of the universe. Yeah. Well, well let's hope Brittany manages to uh, escape the clutches of her father. So, Amy, there's been a lot in the paper mm. about the sex life of teenage girls. It's not something I, you and I, as we both have teenage girls, really want to think about. Not but really, no. A couple of things. There was a report, I think it was a few weeks ago in the in the paper, about how teenage girls are being asked to do more and more explicit things. Mm. And it's all coming out of that sort of awful porn culture. So, mm. basically, because kids watch so much of it, it's redefining the way teenagers have their first sexual encounters and then the other thing is that Ofsted's chief inspector has warned against a culture of victim blaming because apparently girls are being asked to wear shorts under their skirts to stop boys from looking at their pants it's like being blamed yeah. for wearing pants yeah. girls I mean, as young as four apparently I agree with the Ofsted chief inspector mm. that, that victim blaming mm. I mean how can a four year old who's sitting there no. Do, doing Lego no. uh, with a skirt on be, you no. know. I mean, I think the problem is, I, I, mean, I know that I'm, I've said this before and I keep saying it, but I do think that, that online porn is the issue. Yes. Because it is completely free and available to view and uh, there are no barriers to it. And I just think children younger and younger are just getting picking up all of this sort of stuff. And the, and the, and the basic message of porn is that all women are absolutely gagging for it. Mm. And, you know, when we all sort of had our sexual awakening... I'm not sure I've had mine, yeah. <laughs> we were all sort of in the same 
place all we were all equally useless weren't we yes yes and so that was a sort of journey that you all went on together yes and that but i think now it's just you know it's between those who have seen porn and those who haven't i know porn. i remember my first kiss the boy put his tongue up my nose oh god <laughs> Was that because he, he thought that's where you had to put it? Yes. <laughs> oh my God, that's... It's so funny. Yes. Did you put him straight? No, I just slid ran away, I think. Was like... <laughs> <laughs> that's hysterical. But we were totally useless, is what totally I Totally useless. Totally useless. To totally and point. utterly useless. Yeah. Totally and utterly useless. Anyway, so we're going to have a chat with Tanith Kerry, who did the piece that I mentioned a few weeks ago about how awful girls' sex lives have become. Hi, Tanith. Hiya. So we've been talking about teenage girls and sex. And my view slightly is that a lot of this is to do with porn. Yeah. Particularly because of the things that they're being asked to do, which mm. mirror the actions in porn. And also the attitudes towards girls seem to me mm. very reflective of what happens in porn. I mean, was this something they mentioned, talked about? Yeah, totally. I mean, that I completely agree with you on that um, basically what's happening is our young people's sexuality you know their healthy development is being hijacked by the porn industry mm. so what's happening is that they go on to porn as a form of sort of you know boys will be curious and mm. girls want to know what to do and the first thing they the first things they see are the brutal you know products of the imagination uh, you know which are really catered for people with very extreme sexual tastes and experience mm. so you know they're really going from zero to 60 on that um and yeah i mean I, you know obviously the male has done this fantastic piece of research so we've um you know surveyed 2,000 young people aged 16 to 21 to really get to the next level on this to really find out what's happening uh, with this and it it was it was just you couldn't look away from the fact that basically they were being heavily influenced by what they were seeing in porn. I mean, mm. you know, going back to our own childhood, anal sex, for example. I mean, when I was at school, I mean, you know, that was barely breathed of. But I mean, we mm. had statistics here where fifty five percent of girls who are sexually active had already had anal sex what? by the time they were seventeen. Mm. I mean, fifty five percent. Yeah, these well, are girls who were already having sex, but oh it's very goodness. interesting because because. I've talked to my daughter a lot about this and she's 18 and she went to, she just finished school, but went to a girls' school. Mm. And everything that was in the report that you did and in the survey that we've done is, was, has been reflected over the past few years and what she's been saying. Gosh. And, mm. and the fact that the boys are, I mean, rapey is putting it mildly. And mm. her and her mm. friends all travel in groups because they have to look out for each other, really. And and yeah. she's on on a number of occasions she's told me that she's had to sort of rescue somebody who's got herself in a sort of mm. you know, I say who's got herself. She's not got herself in any situation. Right. She has been put in a in a situation. Yeah. And yeah. I did a, a lot of research about porn a few years ago mm. in about 2015 because I've had this obsession with trying to get it behind a paywall mm. because I'm you know I'm mm. not I'm not a merry white house if people want to watch porn and they're yeah. adults that's fine but it yeah. should not be available to mm. people under the age of 18 mm. who just don't no, have I... the capacity to really understand what it is and so mm. I've had this thing that we should all you know it should be it's perfectly it's perfectly possible to put Netflix behind a paywall it's perfectly possible to yeah. put anything behind a paywall so why are these sites free to view why mm. can't this be done and yeah uh, and so I, I remember I once went and spent an afternoon with a gentleman whose job it is 
to try and identify mm. illegal porn. And I spent this afternoon with him, and the stuff that I saw, I mean, it still haunts me to this day, honestly. Mm. And mm. that's why mm. I, when as soon as I saw your report, I just immediately thought this correlates so much with the attitudes yeah. towards girls that are ava- that are mm. seen in those porn videos, which are, you know, slapping, punching, kicking, mm. uh, forcing, mm. gagging is a big, big, mm. horrible, horrible mm. thing. And mm. these are all things that, that are being translated into ordinary people's sex lives. Yeah, I mean, one brilliant example that came out in the survey was the amount of girls who um, said that they'd been touched inappropriately or sexually assaulted while they were passed passed out or unconscious. Now, this is not a coincidence. There is an entire genre of porn now which Mm. shows young girls being passed out or drugged being sexually assaulted. So, you know, the whole point, you know, boys will say, oh, yeah, we, I've been, I, for the second part of that piece, I've been interviewing boys, and you interview boys, and they go, oh, we know it's fake, oh, we know it's a laugh. But actually, you know, they're still getting aroused and turned on by it. Mm. So, you know, and then it becomes, and I spoke to a boy this week, and he said, oh, yeah, when we see a girl passed out, we now see it, see it as a chance to, to give it a try. They see it as an opportunity. Exactly, oh. yeah, as an opportunity, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like, like your daughter, Sarah, I mean, my daughter Cleo is 16. Yeah, they move around. They, they are constantly told to be looking out for each other. Um, they have to protect each other in case, you know, they do pass out and, and boys do try to take advantage. Mm. I mean, but I mean, also what I'm saying in the, in the piece is that boys are also a victim of this. You know, unfortunately, there's a really, really kind of black and white sort of perpetrator victim mm. thing. But boys are also being targeted by this porn industry mm. who want to get them young to get them hooked until they're old enough to have credit cards when they will start to pay mm. for the mm. uh, more extreme yeah. material. I mean, I really still think that we need a campaign to get this stuff behind the paywall because, yes. uh, because I, I mean, for this generation, obviously it's too late. But, I, you know, mm. I don't, I think if we could just, you know, get it away, out of mm. the way, just put it where it belongs, mm. then, yeah. you know, younger children growing up will not have quite such, you know, it won't be, it won't be so obviously easily accessible I to agree. them. At the moment, I mean, children just don't know it's wrong at the moment. No one is actually telling them directly it's wrong. I mean, the survey showed that, you know, kids weren't just being, weren't being taught about pornography at school. It wasn't being talked about them by their parents. They actually, they, they just navigate it by themselves. Yeah, and I think, I think, but I think it is, it is a successive failure of government because I, because Mm. you try to talk to ministers and people about it and they just don't really accept it and they just don't really want to know and they just don't think it's a problem Mm. and it's really weird and I don't understand why. Is is that because they don't understand it or Mm. haven't watched it themselves because they're probably quite, quite elderly? I think a lot of them are still just on penthouse. Yes, exactly. And they just Mm. think, why are you being, Mm. why are you making such a massive fuss about it? Yes, yes. Um, yeah. Never did me yeah. any harm, sort of attitude. Yeah, yes. well, yeah. Why are you ruining their fun? It's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's ruining yes. their childhoods. That's the trouble. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Well, mm-hmm. thanks, Hannah, and keep up the good work. And uh, I look forward to reading your next piece. Oh, lovely. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Imogen. That was author and journalist Tanneth Carey. So Imogen, football. Well, football, I, football, I know how much football. you love football. Um, I don't know if you mm. remember a long time ago, you went to a Millwall match. Did I? I yes. have no recollection of going to Millwall. What, what is Millwall? Millwall is, is a very, very, very sort of um, hardcore football club. And I remember you sitting down uh, behind the goal mouth. You told me the story yourself. And as they scored, you put down your handbag, your lady bag, and picked up your hands and gave them a good old clap thinking well that's what one does when they score and all around you a thousand million men roared like lions but and you were completely shocked and had no idea that's what you were supposed to do (laughs) 
idea. Absolutely. But what I loved about the game when I when I watched the pic- pictures on the internet was the hilarious pictures of Prince George, um, who I think I can't tell, and it would be it would be wrong of me to assume, but I think he might feel about football. In much the way that I feel. I agree with you. Had he only had a handbag, he might have popped it down and given given himself a little clap. He was sitting there. He did sit there, bless him, looking ever so sweet in his suit and tie. So handsome. And really, you could see him looking around thinking, what is this? I know. Why are all these people shouting? Can I go home? I'd rather be watching Octonauts. You you could hear him thinking, I'd rather be watching Octonauts. (laughs) But anyway, so this week's Change Ryan's Mind is going to be all about changing my mind to make me think that football is brilliant and fantastic and really really important Mm. and joining us to convince me of this fact is football writer and author Alison Carvin. Alison take it away. So Sarah this is the easiest job in the world you must have seen the wave of joy cascade over the country on earlier in this week when England beat Germany football is quite simply beautiful it makes the world a better place it brings happiness joy camaraderie and breeds loyalty International tournaments add so much to people's lives. It makes colours stronger and music sweeter for millions around the world because it's fun. And that's what we need to cling on to in these really difficult times. There's something that makes people happy, makes them smile and is great fun. The simplicity of football is its beauty. You basically put your best players onto the pitch against their best players and all you've got to do is get past them and get the ball into the net. In these really complicated times of ours, isn't it lovely to have something so simple that engages so many people? And it's not just for men. The lovely thing about football and the way it's developed is that women's football is now the fastest growing sport in the world. Children are absolutely enriched by it and delighted by the sport every weekend. There's disability football. There's even walking football, which is wonderful for older people. You see them waddling around the park as they attempt to recreate. Oh, that's it. That's it. That's it. You've convinced me. I'm going to do walking football. That's for me. Walk walkover, Sarah. Can we? Can we? Have, do you think we can have? Can we have cocktail football? Oh, we could, where I just cocktail, have a walk a bit, have a cocktail, walk a bit more. Have cocktails every time you score. No, I think. Do you know? I think you're. Do you know? The thing is, you haven't convinced me, Alison. But I oh. think that all all the things you say are true. But I don't understand why everyone gets so angry when the other side scores and get so absurdly over the top excited when they're so, you know if i'm watching the tennis you know i don't get angry if roger federer loses he's just not played as well as the other person so i don't understand the tribalism and i don't and i also the other thing i can't really cope with is the incredible insults that you get which you do you do but the, i mean one of the, the crime of all that is the good that football does you know the, obviously mm. marcus Rashford's an obviously standout example he's been given a, a stage and he's then wonderful things you've got Neymar who gave a million pound to UNICEF Pep Guardiola gave a million pound to the coronavirus campaign you know a lot of them do a lot of good they, I think there's much in football that's that's great the, the thing with the tribalism is interesting I mean that's especially in, in, it makes no logical sense I think you have to let your logical head go because one minute a player signed by Chelsea and we love him with all yeah. our heart they'll sign for Arsenal yeah. we hate him but in, for me that's the joy of it craziness and it's so silly but it's and because it doesn't matter it makes it all the more joyful and silly I think it's wonderful I think you've half changed my mind I think that's the <laughs> issue half changed my right. mind I think walking football did it didn't it when I started talking so. yeah it was the walking football I thought oh great that's fantastic I love the idea of that yeah <laughs> that was football writer and novelist Alison Kerwin who 
half changed my mind. You're listening to the Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine, and Imogen Edwards-Jones. You can visit maleplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces, and more. And if you want to get in touch, you can tweet us at maleplus or me at Westminster Wag. Lionel Shriver is the author of a number of brilliant books, including the famous We Need to Talk About Kevin, which was adapted into a 2011 film starring Tilda Swinton. She is also an outspoken opponent of cancel culture and the methods of the so-called woke brigade. She joins me now to discuss her new book, Should We Stay or Should We Go? Hi, Lionel. Hello. Um, I really want to talk about lots of things with you. I want to talk about othering to start off with. Can you explain to me what othering is and why it's a bad thing and why you got into trouble for doing it? So I don't like being told that I can't do othering. It's been an issue in relation to using accents in fiction. Mm. Right. And um, while I think you can make a literary case uh, for being... um, uh, artful about it and not overdoing it. I mean, I think we all hate reading um, heavily transliterated accents. It's just hard to understand, Mm. and that's Mm. just not good fictional practice. But uh, a little touch here and there to give a sense of the flavor of the way people are speaking um, should be possible without being told that that's racist. Yes, exactly. uh, so, Lionel, right. with with your so, book, with your book, uh, should we stay or should we go? What was actually the issue with it? I mean, could you tell us a tiny bit about the plot as well, just for those of us who haven't read it yet? Should we stay or should we go? Is about a, a couple, both of whom work for the NHS. It's set in Britain, mm-hmm. and um, after a ho- horrific experience with the wife's father having. Um, a terrible and extended dementia and becoming a completely different person and not a better person. They resolve in their early 50s that, uh, you know, beyond about the age of 80, they've seen most of their patients uh, seriously decay. And so to spare themselves, uh, each other, and uh, the people they love, as well as the NHS, they're going to live life to the fullest until they reach the age of 80, and then on Kay's 80th birthday, they're going to leave the building, mm. right? They're going to kill themselves. Right. And mm-hmm. and that's all very easy to resolve when it's almost 30 years away. But yeah. as the book book works, you turn the page and suddenly it's almost Kay's 80th birthday. So, mm. boosh, boosh. And it's... Um, it's a parallel universe book, so it's very playful. It uh, has 12 different endings. You know, each chapter explores a different possible future as it might work out. Um, and, in, and, of course, in, in any number of those possibilities, the couple just have decided not to go through with their vow, and then, therefore mm-hmm. you explore what they might have missed out on if they'd gone through with it or, or also what kind of horrors they might have escaped. The, the, mm. the real problem about I mean, turning seems- 80 is, uh, is, is my mum is just 81 and she keeps saying to me that when somebody uh, dies at 75, no one says, what a tragedy. I think once you're 80, <laughs> you suddenly realise that actually there's still quite a whole lot more living to do. I think obviously that is the, mm. one of the, the premise of your novel. Well, I mean, one of the problems is that these things are impossible to predict. Mm. So this is not a 
this is not a novel that is in the slightest bit preachy or or is organized to say, you know, oh, you see, they should have gone through with it or or not. It's mm. completely up to the reader and furthermore it's it's also an exploration of how difficult it is to plan anything really. <laughs> yes, I mean the thing is because it's not a question of how long you live, it's a question of how well you live, isn't it? I mean if you live yes. if you live a wonderful 60 years then great if you live a miserable 60 years then no so i think i think it's it's a fascinatingly sort of topic for you to be exploring but i still don't understand why you've been accused of othering because of it <laughs> um <laughs> i took the othering out of the book i this, oh, okay. this is a rare instance of my doing what i was told and that's mm. partly because the the touches of accent that i had used were subtle enough that it wasn't a big deal. And I did express little elements of, of an accent, but because yes. they formed legitimate words, not the right words, but legitimate words, it's not transliterating right. an accent, and therefore it's not othering. Yes. So but for example, if you're, trying to, if you're trying to represent, say, for example, somebody who has got dementia, obviously mm -hmm. you have to, and you're doing dialogue, obviously you have to try and make the reader understand that this person is not in their right mind as it were or that they are suffering from a sort of a mental impairment so you have to be able to you know it's it's part of the sort of you know it's part of the the the, the color of the book isn't it you have to sh be able to show people as they are as the, you have to be able to show characters as they are and and if you're told that you can't represent a character because they're from a th certain ethnicity or background, and therefore, if you try and represent them, you're somehow, you know, insulting them. That that just means that you can only ever write about well, presumably white women yourself, <laughs> yourself, exactly, yeah, exactly. Basically. Do you know what I mean? As yeah, a novel, I mean, I have. I've extensively commented on, on this issue, which mm -hmm. extends beyond writing, actually. It's now becoming um, an important matter in acting. It's, mm -hmm. it's getting to the point where you're not allowed to act as okay. someone other than yourself. And as I understand it, that's what acting is. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just pretending so, to be other people. Yeah. And that's, I would say the same thing of fiction writing. Yeah. That it's all about a kind of ventriloquism. You are you are projecting yourself into people other than yourself, and yeah. if if that's somehow a violation for other people, uh, which I find mysterious because these people are made up, yes, <laughs> and yes. belong to me personally because mm. I made them yes. up. They're in your right? own head. There's aren't no they? fiction writing. There's mm. no acting, mm. and I just think we have to. Stop paying these so-called rules any mind. They're absurd, and they're antithetical to the project of invented narrative. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're writing a novel, you're creating a world, aren't you? Effectively, you're creating yeah. a world from your head. You're you're building a complete sort of parallel, a little universe, and if that universe can only contain your own experience, then it's going to be a pretty limited universe. Well, then you have no story <laughs> except got, for one, which no, is the one you've lived. No, you've got to be able to write about all... Exactly, you've got to be able to... And that's, you know, you've got to be able to write about all sorts of people. And so the irony is, is that in trying to sort of, you know, champion greater diversity, actually what's going to happen is it's going to narrow diversity because people are going to be unable to write about 
other people because they'll be frightened of, of being accused of othering or otherness mm -hmm. or whatever it is they're being accused of. And you will and you will find that there'll be this sort of terrible sort of shrinking of the literary world, I think. Oh, I think that uh, my colleagues have already been terrified of mm. portraying characters of different ethnicities, for example. Mm. And by the way, that extends to many other groups, you know. Mm putting a disabled person in your story or uh, someone with a different sexual orientation than your own. I think that there is a lot of self-censorship going on right now and that many fiction writers, especially if they're white, are going to be avoiding using a diverse set of characters. And that's, I mean, that's the inevitable result of this kind of tis tisking. Mm. Well, Lionel, thank you so much. It's been fascinating. Um, oh, it's been, a, it's been a delightful way to pass a few minutes. It's um, <laughs> good. great to talk to you. That was Lionel Shriver, and her new book, Should We Stay or Should We Go, is out now. We're joined now by our resident astrologer and expert on all things planetary, Teresa Chung. Teresa, can I just say, yeah. you've, you've had a bit of a triumph because England won I know. Game. I knew they would match. We're in cancer, and, and I feel good about it because of all the water signs ago, in the team. Yes. yes. So I am still predicting an England-Italy final. I know you said that the Italians are not going to be so well aligned. I haven't studied all the other ones. I've just been looking at the England lot, and I just love the the, the generosity of the water signs in there. And we are in an mm. element of water now with cancer, and that's all. I I mean, I don't know anything about football. I'm just looking at it. It's both <laughs> no, no, really well. And Southgate is the perfect coach. That's all I'm seeing there. He is everything that England needs right now. Aww. Can you tell us what the score is so I can put a bet on, please? And make oh, that's a really good idea. I haven't studied it. It's this Saturday one. I haven't really looked at it in depth as I did last time because <laughs> you didn't ask. If you want me to ask me to do that, I, I could do it before next time. No, we're here to talk about the. We're here to talk about Harry. And William, that's what we're here of to talk course. about, not yes. to talk about football. You. So they're doing their statue unveiling, the statue of Diana. God, I hope it's going to be a nice one. Oh, God, I'm it could be a nice one. You know, modern art, when oh. she looks like a hairbrush or something like that. You know how they do <laughs> Yes. Anyway, so mm. they're going to unveil this. And, you know, it's the first time Harry would have seen William since the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral. What are your feelings? What are you feeling? Oh, these two boys, they're going to take a while to be brothers in arms again uh, because mm. earth and water. Now, earth and water can be a wonderful combination because water needs earth, you know, earth needs water to grow. But um, William's been hurt by Harry and cancers mm. take a long time to forgive. But he is on the cusp of cancer, William. He's got a lot of mm. air, Gemini, in there. So I'm hoping that that will come through his common sense and his logic. He needs his brother. Mm. He really doesn't. Because nobody else has the shared history. That mm. He needs mm. his brother. But our Virgo, Harry, is so, at the moment, involved in Meghan's life. Mm. Meghan, Meghan. And that's where he needs to be at the moment. That's what he feels he needs because he needs to feel loved. And he obviously didn't feel yeah. enough love coming because William can't because he's got his own family. Mm. You know, I know William loved him, but yeah. he couldn't. He couldn't. He couldn't do that. It's going to take a while, but I think you know they're both. You know, William will do his best, but he's going to be cautious. Yeah. I think William because he's been hurt. 
Yes, I think that's that's probably what I, I completely understand that. To be honest, I think I think William has had enough, hasn't he? Let's be honest. Yeah, and and I think with um, you know William needs to be careful. He's not too critical of Harry as well, because the more he mm. criticizes Harry, the more he's going to drive him away. Mm. Because Virgos do not like being criticized. They're great at criticizing other people, but <laughs> don't turn it yeah. around. Oh well, so no well, shoulder to shoulder um, dancing around the statue. Then we're not going to see some sort of <laughs> no. like like a a Morris dance or anything. <laughs> They no. will because they. I, I mean, I, they they are. They will do it for the sake of their mother. That's what it. Diana. I mean, Diana. Yes. You know, the ultimate cancer. You know, that's. You know, she's coming in there with the empathy and whatever. They will. The love of their yes. mother will make it look like they are. You know, at least on speaking terms and friendly, but underneath it, beneath the surface, what we don't see behind the camera is going to take a long time. That's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, that's sad. Mm. Okay, Teresa, thank you Sorry. so much. We will speak again next week. That was Teresa Chen, our resident astrologer. If you enjoy listening to The Half Hour, why not visit mailplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces, and more. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Westminster Wag. You've been listening to The Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine, and Imogen Edwards-Jones. Thanks for listening. <laughs>